0: Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related
1: to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thanks for joining us for Therapeutics Thursday's podcast. This podcast provides an opportunity to listen in as members sit down to discuss what's new and ongoing in the world of therapeutics. My name is Erin Kopey, Ambulatory Clinical Pharmacist with Parkview Health in Bryan, Ohio, and I will be your host today for the ASHP Therapeutic Thursdays podcast. With me today is Taryn Mondiello, Transitions of Care Clinical Pharmacy Specialist with Barnes-Jewish Hospital in St. Louis, Missouri. Thank you for joining me today, Taryn, to discuss the 2021 update to the chest guidelines regarding antithrombotic therapy for This is the second update to the ninth edition of the guidelines, which were originally published in 2012. We won't be going into all the details of the 2021 update, but we would like to go over some highlights for you today, so let's get started. I'll turn it over to Taryn for our first few guideline recommendations.
0: Thank you so much, Erin. And we kind of are choosing some guidance statements from the guideline update that are most applicable to ambulatory care practitioners. Basically for topic number one, we're going to talk about outpatient treatment is recommended over hospitalization for low risk PE if access to medications is available and home circumstances allow. So this has changed to a strong recommendation with some low evidence. So while the formal evidence to date or database assessment warrants a weak recommendation in favor of outpatient treatment the panelists did upgrade the guidance to a strong recommendation which places a very high value on avoiding the potential increase in harm of uh, hospitalization so things like hospital related infections greater costs things like that even though the magnitude of the benefit may be similar so home treatment you know we all know it's more convenient and less expensive than hospital treatment is preferred by most patients patients who do satisfy the following criteria, For treatment of acute PE out of the hospital are those who are clinically stable with good cardiopulmonary reserve no contraindications like as recent bleeding, severe renal or liver disease, or severe thrombocytopenia with platelets less than 50,000, and those who are expected to be compliant with treatment. And if the patient really feels well enough to be treated at home. And in addition, we want to make sure there's a system to ensure that the outpatient follow-up and access to prompt care in the event of the patient's questions or worsening of symptoms should be in place so that they know that if they are getting worse, they really need to reach out to a provider or it's a really extreme circumstance to seek emergency help. Basically, other guidelines like the Anticoagulation Forum and the European Society of Cardiology do agree with these recommendations as well.
1: And I'm sure that
0: definitely patients would appreciate being at home much more than being in the hospital. (laughs) Yes. So these are in guidelines, you know, guidance with other guidelines. And again, not for all patients, but just for these low risk PE patients can be treated outpatient. Mm -hmm. The next topic we're going to talk about is DOACs. So for the treatment of venous thromboembolism, being that DVT of the leg or pulmonary embolism, they do recommend DOACs over warfarin during the treatment phase for the first three months. And that's a strong recommendation with moderate certainty evidence. So basically, while the certainty of the evidence is moderate, the panelists show the strong recommendation, placing a high value on avoiding the potential increase in harm in the setting of a similar magnitude of benefit. So if patients are out of range with their INR and potential for clot or potential for bleed, depending on where that INR is, so the less potential for harm with the same benefit. So that's why that recommendation was switched to strong with kind of moderate certainty evidence. Basically, the choice of anticoagulation for the treatment phase necessitates the consideration of patient-specific factors such as renal function, patient expense, formulary coverage, payer considerations, things like that, as well as bleeding risk and anticipated adherence from the patient, availability, and the patient's preference. And guidance is driven by the comparable efficacy and improved safety of the DOACs over traditional therapy so that lower potential for bleed. And DOACs also, as we know, offer greater convenience for patients who may not be returning to have their INR checked. And certain clinical situations, of course, are always going to favor warfarin over DOACs, such as, not always, I should say, but extremes of weight should be taken into consideration. Severe renal impairment, antiphospholipid syndrome, and also the costs. And these kind of go in hand in hand with other guidelines, like the Anticoagulation Forum and ASH and European Society of Cardiology, all recommending DOACs in preference of warfarin for that treatment phase. And again, in certain situations. So any kind of comment with that, Erin? Nope, I don't think so. I know that it definitely makes it a lot easier with
1: the DOACs. I know that a lot of my patients prefer to do those instead of warfarin with all the monitoring that's required with warfarin. Well, now that we've mentioned some of the recommendations for how we would treat our patients, I'll jump into some specific recommendations on whether or not we would anticoagulate for some specific types of VTEs. So one example would be for patients with subsegmental PEs, which occur in the more distal pulmonary artery branches, and anticoagulant therapy may or may not be necessary for these patients. In order to determine this, the patient should be assessed to ensure that there's not any other P present in more proximal arteries and that there aren't any proximal DVTs in the legs. If the patient doesn't have either of these and has low risk for recurrent VTE, clinical surveillance is recommended instead of anticoagulation. So, this would, of course, require you to educate the patient on signs and symptoms of progressing VTE and when to seek medical attention. So, this pathway is recommended due to the high likelihood of false positive imaging for these subsegmental PEs. However, if the patient does have a high risk of VTE recurrence, so, so you'd look for factors such as whether a D dimer is elevated, if the patient is pneumatic along with the PE, if they have active cancer, if they're hospitalized, or if they have reduced mobility, or if you do end up finding a proximal PE or a DVT, this would indicate the need for anticoagulation treatment and you would treat as usual for a PE. With similar regards to that, the guidelines cover whether or not to anticoagulate patients with an isolated distal DVT, so below the knee. This is in the case where a patient does not have severe symptoms or risk of extension. It could be recommended that serial imaging, so repeated weekly ultrasound for two weeks, can be considered instead of anticoagulation. If imaging shows that the thrombus is not extending, it may be that no anticoagulation is needed. However, you should suggest anticoagulation if it extends, but if it's confined to the distal veins, but definitely recommended anticoagulation if it extends into the proximal veins. You would not want to recommend the serial imaging if the patient is having severe symptoms from the DVT or if, again, if they have risk factors for it to extend proximally, like active cancer, COVID-19, or a history of previous VTE. In this case, anticoagulation is definitely recommended, and the same anticoagulation recommendations for DVT treatment should be followed. The guidelines do indicate that most new data since 2016 favor anticoagulation for isolated distal DVT. So this is likely most useful for patients who have a high bleed risk and want to try and avoid anticoagulation. So as always, with any of our patient encounters, discussion with the patient is important. So it may not be something that you'd see in practice often where we do the serial imaging, but definitely something to keep in mind.
0: Thank you. So, the next point we'll cover is for patients with confirmed antiphospholipid syndrome being treated with anticoagulation therapy, the guidelines do suggest dose adjusted warfarin to a target INR of 2.5 over DOAX during the treatment phase. This is under weak recommendations with low certainty of evidence. So, initiating warfarin therapy should include an overlapping period of parenteral anticoagulation, as we know, as the INR starts to reach steady state. And, panelists from the guidelines, agree that DOAC should be avoided in patients with antiphospholipid syndrome especially if the patient is positive for lupus anticoagulant, anti anti anti-beta2 glycoprotein 1 antibodies or the triple positive and in those with arterial thrombosis and for those patients warfarin should be elected as first line therapy. So this kind of goes with the ISH guidelines for thrombosis and hemostasis basically recommending warfarin over DOACs for most patients with antiphospholipid syndrome, which is just because of the lack of evidence in these patients. So be sure to look out for these because I know definitely we get this question all the time for these patient populations about DOACs with the convenience and the, you know, no need to monitor INR. So keep in mind for that.
1: All right. So the next point in the guidelines we'll be looking at is regarding treatment of cancer associated VTE. This guideline update recommends that a factor 10A inhibitor, so apixaban, rivaroxaban, or adoxaban is preferred over low molecular weight heparin for both initiation and treatment phases of therapy. You'll note here that the recommendation does not include all the DOACs because it does not mention dabigatran. It just talks about the factor 10A inhibitors. The only time that you would not recommend any of these factor 10A inhibitors is when the patient has... A luminal gastrointestinal malignancy due to their higher risk of major GI bleeding. In this case, the two recommended therapies would be apixaban or a low molecular weight heparin in order to reduce that bleeding risk. However, the guidelines do note that some of these patients may still prefer the convenience of once daily dosing of edoxaban or rivaroxaban. So, even though they are not the preferred options, this is a discussion that you could have with your patients regarding risks versus benefit, especially since these medications have. not been compared head to head. And finally, our last point that we'll be covering today is regarding extended phase therapy for VTE. For patients who have reached the end of the initial three-month anticoagulation treatment phase, there are certain things to consider when continuing medication therapy. First, was there a transient risk factor that may have provoked the VTE? If so, then it is recommended that anticoagulation therapy be stopped after that initial three months. However, for patients that do not have a risk factor that was determined to provoke it, it is recommended to offer extended phase anticoagulation with a DOAC as the preferred option. But if DOAC therapy is not possible, then therapy with warfarin should be offered instead. There's no defined stop date for this extended phase anticoagulation and studies of this have only followed patients for about two to four years, Although, even though the study stopped after that period of time, the patients did continue anticoagulation treatment after the study period. Therefore, it's recommended to annually reassess to determine the risk versus benefit of continuing this extended phase anticoagulation for your individual patient. When using a DOAC for extended phase therapy, low-dose apixaban at 2.5 milligrams twice daily or low-dose rivaroxaban at 10 milligrams once daily is recommended over full anticoagulant therapy. And finally, if the patient does elect to stop anticoagulant therapy and has a history of unprovoked proximal DVT or PE, Aspirin is recommended unless a specific contraindication exists. The guidelines do note that since aspirin is less effective at preventing VTE than anticoagulation, this shouldn't be considered as an alternative for anticoagulation, but rather something that should be recommended if the decision to stop anticoagulation therapy occurs.
0: Awesome. So that is all the time we have today. So I want to thank Erin for having me to discuss the most recent updates to VTE treatment from the 2021 CHESS guidelines. And if you haven't before, we would encourage you all to check out ASHP ambulatory care resources. You can find member exclusive offerings such as the ambulatory care career tool, certification resources, rotation guides, guidelines, policies, and info on billing and reimbursement, And be sure to become a member of the section of ambulatory care practitioners connect community where we can exchange ideas and ask questions from peers. Thanks again for tuning in for this session and join us here every Thursday, where we'll be talking with ASHP member content matter experts on a variety of clinical topics. Thank you
1: for listening to ASHP official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare.